Good morning, everyone. Can the church say amen to that? Amen. That's exactly right. We can go home, right? You don't even have to listen to me this morning. But since I prepared, you're going to have to put up with me for about the next half hour or so. If I've not met you, my name's Dan Canoost. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. And I'm here this morning to say Happy New Year, everyone. Here we are again. <laughs> so before I get started into the sermon or the message this morning, I want to take the time on behalf of myself and Pastor Dan, our senior pastor here at the church. If you're a first-time guest, we want to say welcome to church. Glad you're here. But on behalf of Pastor Dan, our senior pastor, myself, and Pastor Tanner, we want to say thank you for the gracious, gracious gift that you guys gave through the month of December for the pastor's gift this year. Every year, um, we are absolutely overwhelmed at the goodness that this congregation gives our pastors. I really believe we, and I'll echo what Pastor Dan often tells you guys, and we mean this from the bottom of our hearts genuinely, you guys are the best. We as pastors don't want for anything throughout the year in regards to anything, prayer, monetary gifts, your encouragement. You guys are always there for us and we are so grateful for it. And it is, and, and I mean this genuinely, whether it's in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, high school room, junior high room, or even on behalf of Kylie Brown back in Bold Kids, it is a privilege to serve you guys in this church. And I pray that what we do here honors God, helps you grow, and that you find the Lord's um, ministering to your heart each week when you show up here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. So thank you. And I know that seems sometimes so, it's just, it doesn't carry the weight that we wanted to carry with you guys. And I can tell you that genuinely from the bottom of our hearts. We, you, here's what I would tell you. Liz Morgan told me this one time. She said, you guys will never know until you get to heaven how much you mean to all of us here at this church. Staff, pastors, everyone. We love you guys genuinely. So thank you for all the things you do that we get to see and all the things you do that we don't get to see. So stay faithful to the Lord. Amen? Okay, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to dig into the scripture this morning. And being New Year, I get to carry what I kind of a temperament of a New Year message, which I honestly love to do because what it does for me... It helps me to take this idea of stepping off into another calendar year, which really in all reality doesn't make a whole lot of difference in one sense. It's just tomorrow's Monday, the next day will be Tuesday, and we'll continue to do what we do each and every day. But it gives us the chance to just stop and pause for a second and ask yourself this this morning, where are you with God? Are you where you want to be? And I want you to hang on to that thought this morning because what I'm going to lean into hopefully will help a little bit. But at times when I get to preach, there are messages and scripture verses that really have deeper meaning to me more than others might. One of those this morning for me is that it has to do this idea of moving forward into 2024, moving forward in our lives spiritually. But for me, that moving forward means a lot because the high schooler knows my, the high school room, the students there know my heart very well and so do the leaders and so does my wife. But sometimes you guys don't get to hear from me that much. So if you'll give me a minute to give you a Dan of old, if you will. Some of you know this. Most of you know this. I didn't give my life to Christ till I was 38 years old. So I, I've lived a long time on this earth not knowing the Lord, not walking with the Lord. I always say that I know Satan's breath. I know what it smells like. And I will be honest with you, that's not much of an exaggeration. But what I learned when I was younger, because I didn't have good role models in my life, that's why I love the high school room so much. I didn't have good role models in my life. And what I learned to do early on in my human experience as a kid, I learned to quit. I learned to just give up on stuff. When it was too hard, I just stopped. I wouldn't do it anymore. I remember one time we moved from Bill, or Cal, Orange County, California to Billings, Montana, right as I was going into the ninth grade. 
In California, I didn't find any trouble. I was a pretty quiet kid. Went through junior high there, played football, did some sports. Got to Billings, Montana. I thought, I'm going to try out for the junior high football team. I don't know what they feed these people around here, but when I showed up, I weighed about 130 pounds soaking wet, and everybody else looked like offensive linemen in the NFL to me. They were huge. I showed up for practice one day, and of course, I remember the coach taking everyone and splitting us up. And here stood a few of us, but the spotlight was on me. I didn't belong. I didn't, I, didn't know what, I didn't know if I was offense. I didn't know if I was defense. I just, I remember standing there on the field going, oh my gosh. And it was like a spotlight was right on me. Failure, loser, new kid. And I didn't know the Lord. I had no Christian background at all. So I had no support. Did not have a good relationship with my dad. I loved my mom dearly, but here I stood. Went home that day and my mom brought me to practice the next day. And I remember pulling up in front of Lewis and Clark Junior High School and as a ninth grade kid, I had an absolute meltdown right there in the car with my mom. I don't think anyone could have got me to get out of that car and go to that practice that day. What I did is I quit. I didn't know how to get through stuff. I just stopped. And my mom, being a good mom, hindsight, I'm sure she would have been like, get out of the car, get your hind end over there, and get into practice. You'll be okay. I didn't know how to get through it, so what I knew to do was to run from it. Does that make sense? So this idea of what we're going to look at at Scripture this morning, of this idea of moving forward when times are hard or even when they're good, continue to move forward in your life. That's what we're looking at. That's why I love the New Year when we reset. Everybody has their New Year's resolutions, right? I'm not a New Year's resolutions guy. I think they're ridiculous because we quit. I used to set New Year's resolutions all the time, and I would do what? By the end of January, what did I do? I quit. Because I had created the habit in my life to quit when things got hard and when I didn't like it and I didn't understand. And I know talking to a church full of Christians this morning, and some of you may not know the Lord in this room this morning. Some of you may be, some of you may be thinking, this guy's a loon. But I'm here to tell you, we've all had those moments, haven't we? If we're going to be very honest with ourselves, we've all had those moments when we're like, Lord, this is too hard, I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm going back to the way. My life was not that hard. It didn't seem like back there. And walking with you seems to be very hard sometimes because we take this perspective of a Christian life. It's not supposed to be this hard. And what we want to do is we turn around and we want to leave and we want to walk away from it. And this morning, what I want to do is get into the book of Philippians, because I think the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to go. I think the Apostle Paul shows me what it's like to continue to move forward in my life. So this morning, if you get nothing else out of this, look at me, everyone, <clears throat> going into 2024. I'll get into it a little bit later on, but in case I forget, I want to make sure you hear me well on this. Don't quit. Don't you dare walk away. Don't you dare leave the faith. Where are you going to go? Back to the old way? Remember when he asked the disciples, are you going to leave me too? Jesus asked me, he says, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of life. That's why we all showed up here again on a Sunday morning. We need the words of life. I need God to breathe breath, a fresh breath of air into my lungs going into this 2024 season where life is just sometimes hard. And it should be. If it wasn't, we wouldn't need God. We live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, around fallen people with a free will. And we're surprised we have a bad day. But if we follow Jesus, all 
is well with my soul. Amen? So as we look at this this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background on Philippians just for a second. Philippians is known as the letter of joy. It's not really a teaching or a corrective letter. You hear some of that in this letter to the Philippians, but Paul doesn't really do it for this matter. He, call, he writes this letter to thank them for their gift, but to encourage them that there's joy found in Christ, in Christ alone. Not in my experience, but in Christ alone. That's where I find my joy. So Paul writes this, <clears throat> and I, want, I know all, most of you know this, Paul writes this from prison. He writes a letter of joy from prison to the Philippian church to tell them, Christ is on your side, everything's going to be okay, keep marching forward. From prison. Some of you may be in a prison in here this morning. If you are, it's going to be okay. God's on your side. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and the finish your faith and keep walking forward. I'm going to dig into chapter, we're going to jump in the middle of that chapter, chapter three. I'm reading it out of the NLT this morning. But what I want to do is I want to give you just a little bit of context. In chapter three, verses one through 11, this whole chapter is about moving ahead, moving ahead, moving ahead by faith in Christ. That's what he's telling him. He's telling him, don't look back. The Judaizers, the, 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 the ones that uh, massacre the body, it's all about circumcision for the old group. Don't look back that way. You keep looking forward by faith. He called the old ways the mutilators, the ones that would mutilate their body. In other words, the ones that would circumcise their body. It's okay to be in Christ, but you need to do this as well. Paul's telling these guys, don't do that anymore. That's a bit of the correctiveness that you see in Paul in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 3. He also tells them that what this is, and I wrote this down, this is, to, this is simply that they would know Christ as their Savior, period. It's all about faith in Christ. So what I want to do is I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 this morning, and I'm going to dig into this, give you some thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up here in a few minutes. So if you would, Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 12, we're going to read 12 through 17. I'm going to jump back into that earlier section in just a second. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which, which, which Christ Jesus possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking for what lies forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all of us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If we disagree at some, on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after my example and learn from those, other, those, and learn from those who also follow the example of Christ and myself. So what Paul is saying here, this is all about the idea of moving ahead. What I want to do is I'm going to give you guys a couple of thoughts that I believe that Paul shows us in this, and Paul makes it very clear in this section of Scripture. His whole desire is to know Christ. Think about this. Do you want Paul's desire this morning? You're, you're where you want to be as you sit in your chair this morning with God, you guys. And if you want to be somewhere else further down the road, you need to make that choice to march forward with him. Paul makes it very clear. This was his goal. Know Christ. To be like Christ. And to be all christ had in mind for him. I want to know him. 
I want to be like him, but I also want to be everything he would have me be on this side of heaven for his glory. That takes effort, which we'll talk about in a minute. This consumed Paul's life because Jesus consumed him. What consumes your life? This last year, what consumed you? Was it news, jobs, family, finances, or was it Christ? Because if if Christ didn't consume us, news, jobs, families, finances, health, we all look at it from a different perspective. We look at it through a different lens. That's why it's so important that Christ consumes me because the glasses I wear that I look through are about him. And it gives me a different perspective on the landscape that I live in. The very first point that I've got here this morning is divine dissatisfaction. This is going to seem like an odd point, but listen to me. Divine dissatisfaction is verse 12. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Achieved what things? If you go back to verse 10, he says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So Paul says, I have not achieved these things yet. Or that I have not reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That another translations might say, hold on to those things. Just because Paul had counted everything as lost did not mean that he had reached his goal. That idea of perfection is not sinless perfection, what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is his goal. His goal is to know Christ, be like Christ, be all Christ can be, and then receive the heavenly reward. That's his goal. That's what he has set before him. Paul was content in his relationship with Christ. How do we know that? Philippians chapter 4, just later on in this this book, he writes that I have learned the secret of being content in all situations and circumstance. So this idea of Paul being dissatisfied and this dissatisfaction was not a discontented heart. He was very content in Christ. And I've often thought about this. I want to say this to people at times. I I am never where I want to be with the Lord. I'm always striving and reaching out and growing and following him. I think this is a good way to put it. I have a divine dissatisfaction like Christ does because I have a desire. I'm very content in my relationship with the Lord, but I have a desire to know him more, to walk with him closer. That's what Paul is talking about, this dissatisfaction of just following him closer, reaching out for him, striving after him. So he is very content, but very dissatisfied at the same time with where he is. This is a process that Paul's talking about. This is a process of growing in the Lord. We have to grow in the Lord when we walk with him. It's like going to a weight room. Everybody, everybody knows what everybody likes to do at the first year. We're going to get in good shape, right? I'm going to lose this thing that hangs around my belt. And I'm going to move on. I got to go to the weight room. When I go to the weight room, I tear down muscle. I suffer. I struggle, but I build. You picking up what I'm laying down? And when I don't go to the gym, it takes me about two weeks to lose everything that I fought months for. Everybody will tell you, January, the the memberships go up. By March, nobody's showing up in the gyms again. Because it's hard. But they set a goal for the wrong reason. Paul set it to honor God. Paul had made great progress as being Christ-like. But he wanted to follow, to press on. This verb tense of pressing on is a present tense verb. You ready? For the rest 
of your life until you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You press on toward the goal. You keep moving toward the goal. You keep growing in Christ and you keep walking with him. Christ had laid hold of Paul on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, chapter eight, Acts chapter 9, he laid hold of Paul, didn't he? Many of you know this story. He tells Ananias, he says, you go to the straight street in Damascus and you tell Paul and you baptize him because I have set him aside to share the good news with the Gentiles and I will reveal to him what? Many of you know this. All that he must suffer for my namesake. We don't suffer in vain, folks, as Christians. We suffer for his namesake. That's what Paul does, and that's what we should be doing. Once we're saved, our entire lives become about Christian growth. And here's the deal. I have found, and I think many of you would echo this if you could say amen, if you had the opportunity to, that the closer I get to Christ, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I have more work to do to be Christ-like. Don't we? Because we see him. We see him in the light and we see our deeds, how we fail and struggle and not do well with what's before us. So I always tell people, I said, the older I get, the less I know. Amen? Amen. The older I get, the less I know. But the more I know the one who knows everything. The older I get, the longer I walk with Christ, the I find the less I know. But I also find, and I get closer, the one who knows everything. Second point is this, divine focus, verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet. So Paul, this isn't egotistical for Paul. Paul makes it very clear that I have not achieved it yet. <laughs> but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul had a singleness to his mindset with Christ. One thing. Here's what it was, Philippians 1.21. For to me, living means living for Christ. Does it? Are we going to be like Paul? For me, living means living for Christ. And this is very convicting for me. And dying is even better. I don't know about you guys, but from a guy who reads scripture and from a guy who teaches scripture, that's a pretty convicting saying for me. But that was Paul's single mindset. That's exactly what he wanted to do. And Paul let nothing distract him from that one mindset of living for Christ and Christ alone and everything that he did. This last year, think about this. This last year, what distracted you? Because listen, I love you guys. And I know you love God. I know you do. I know we all want this to be our one thing, don't we? Including me. This last year, what distracted you from the one thing? As you look over your shoulder, what distracted you at times from the one thing that your heart desires because you know what Christ has done for you. You know the extent he went to to give you an opportunity to be redeemed into a relationship with him. What's that one thing that distracted you? Again, was it family, friends, jobs, finances, world events? All those things can be distracting again, but if we look at them from the prism and the perspective of Christ, we stay with that one thing. The secret to spiritual progress to a believer is to concentrate on one thing. What's Hebrews tell us? Ready? Keep your eyes fixed. Keep your eyes fixed. Keep your eyes fixed 
on the author and the finisher of your faith. So when you're walking through life and like Peter, the wind and the waves start kicking up and you don't know what to do and you start to drown, if I keep my eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of my faith, I'm going to be like Peter and I'm going to reach my hand up and say what? Lord, save me. I don't swim back to the boat. That's not, Peter didn't swim back to the boat. I don't go back to what I used to do. I don't go back to how I used to respond to things when I was tempted. I keep my eyes fixed on him, and that's the one thing we need to do. Paul says it or this way in 1 Corinthians 2.2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolve I'm like Daniel. I resolved not to eat from the king's table. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let the world and the environment impact my spiritual walk anymore this year because I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I'm going to keep a mindset of one thing that I know. But I'm going to resolve. Resolve is this. I've made a decision. And I made it by faith. And next week when I don't want to, and next week, when I want to start stumbling again and getting back into temptation and sin, I, I resolved. And the day I resolved, I go back to that day and I go, no, Lord, by faith I meant that. And I'm going to make a decision today based on that day, not based on what I feel like at that moment. Amen? That's how a Christian should walk. If, people were to, if, if I was to ask people who know you the best, if you were to walk up and ask my wife, what's Dan's one thing? If somebody was to walk up to me and say, what's your one thing? From a distance, when people look at your life, what would they say your one thing is? Oh, he's really good at his job. Guy loves sports. She takes really good care of her family. What would be the one thing people would say you would have that you focus on the most? For me, I know what my desire would be, and I know yours too, right? Man loves Jesus. He might not be the smartest and the sharpest tool in the shed, but the boy's been with God. And that's the one thing that we should be focused on. So what one thing would you like to change going into this next year? What one thing would you resolve to do differently? Maybe it is to do like Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 12 says, lay, lay the sin aside that so easily entangles you. Lay it aside and don't pick it up again. Positively, maybe it's just to spend more time with the Lord, whatever, serve more, whatever that is. But here's what I know. Never, never, never underestimate the power of changing one thing. But I don't want you to make a vow to the Lord. I want you to pray. And I want you to say, Lord, I know this isn't good for my relationship with you. You've talked to me about this. This is harming or hindering my relationship with you. So therefore, if he's brought it to your attention, then you change it. And you do it by his grace, you guys. I'm not talking about trying harder this next year. I'm not talking about mustering up enough strength to get through it. I'm talking about you doing this. Lord, I can't do this anymore. And I need you. It's talking about surrender, you guys. It's not talking about trying harder. Paul surrendered his life to Christ because of the road to Damascus. And that's what we need to do is walking with the Lord. This is not about trying harder. Is there ever put in? Absolutely. But never underestimate the change of one thing. Because when we change that one thing, guess what? God's going to talk to me about something else. But until I deal with what God's talking to me about right now, he's not going to talk to me about something else. So I need to deal with the one thing. And listen to me. Never underestimate the power of changing one thing. And never, never underestimate 
the power of giving in to sin one time. You understand? It doesn't ruin my relationship with Christ, but it puts me on a trajectory that takes me away from the Lord. And I don't want that. And if you're in this room and you've done that, you repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. And like that, he forgives you. And that leans us into this second idea that we're going to be talking about. Oh, let me, let me, because this, this is what, I love the Apostle Paul's writing. He says this one thing, right? And then he mentions two things. I forget the past and I look forward. Go, go figure. But this one thing of forgetting the past and looking forward to. If you're in this room and you need to repent, God, God chooses to forget like that. He doesn't, he does, it's not that he doesn't remember anymore. He just chooses not to remember my past sin because it's covered by the blood of Jesus. So when Paul says this idea of forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, talking to the Philippian church, forgetting the past is a life of circumcision. Forgetting the past is a life of Jewish tradition and, and, and the law. What he's saying is set those things to the past and look forward to Christ on the cross and walk by faith in him. That's how we're supposed to live. So when Paul says, forget the past of them, that's what he's saying. What it says to us this morning is forgetting the past is laying things aside. Stop trying so hard. Stop letting your faith be about what you're doing and let God do a deeper work in your heart. He says it this way. Paul says, he, he says, Paul was not able to forget the past. Think about Paul's past for a second. Paul makes it very clear. This idea of forgetting is just choosing not to remember. But the idea of forgetting also is not is choosing not to let my past hinder my growth in Christ. Think about Paul's life. He persecuted the church. He was basically the first recorded terrorist. He persecuted Christians. If anybody could have said, my past, I just can't, Lord. You're looking at him. I'm standing up here preaching God's word. I know my past. I've not forgotten the old Dan. Thank God I haven't. Forgetting is not not remembering. It's just not letting it hinder me and put me in a prison of chains of not getting past what I went through. I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Amen? If you've asked God to forgive you, you're forgiven. He doesn't remember. Why are you letting it hinder you? Stop putting yourself in that prison of the past. You're the one putting yourself there. God's not doing that to you. The devil is using that as grounds to keep you from growing in Christ. Rachel asked me one time, my wife, she said, when I first gave my life to Christ a long time ago, I kept really, I was, I was, you guys, I was overwhelmed and I've never gotten over Christ forgiven me. I've never gotten over that because I remember me. But Rachel said, don't you want to forget? We're brand new Christians. We've been, probably been walking with the Lord maybe a year. And she said, don't you ever just want to forget and let it go? Because my heart ached. The consequences of my sin I was still living with, but I knew I was forgiven. And I told Rachel, I said, no, Rachel, I don't want to forget. Because if I forget, I'll go back. There's a guy I don't want to go back to. Is there one for you? Forgetting is not not remembering. Forgetting is choosing that it doesn't get to hinder me anymore. It, doesn't get to, it does not get to hold me up from growing in Christ. I know I'm forgiven. Move on. And parents, listen to me. Here's one thing I would tell you as far as forgetting and understanding these things of God. You've got to remember that when your kids give their life to Christ, they're not going to be perfect. 
But the scripture says, all of us who called upon the name of the Lord are what? A new creation in Christ. Isaiah 43.18, I, I found this scripture along my way in my studies. Isaiah 43.18 says it very good, I think. Forget, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. I think that's a good word. For those of you that had coffee with me or spent with more than five minutes with me, I'm going to share with all of you this really goofy saying I have. You ready? I drive through the neighborhood, but I don't park. I'm going to remember my past. I can't help myself from doing that. And I drive through the neighborhood, but I do not park. Make sense? I keep my eyes fixed on him, and I keep following his lead, and I keep walking with the Lord. Jesus defines my future and my life now, not my past. Forgetting the past is again a present tense verb. It's an ongoing process. And I think to keep us from getting where we get stuck in dwelling on our past too much is to grow in Christ. I think first, Second Peter says it the best, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So if you feel like you're spending too much time and you can't forget the past and it's hindering your walk with the Lord and it's actually dragging you into temptation and sin, that's what you need to do is you just need to choose to grow in the Lord. You need to do exactly like 2 Peter says, and I'm going to read it again, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and forever. That was Paul's point, walking with Christ, moving forward with Christ. That's what he's talking about. The third point that I got is this, divine fortitude, verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I press on. That's the idea Paul used in athletics where he pressed on. He's like a runner running around the track and when he gets to the finish line, he's got his chest stuck out and that's how hard he's been running. He sticks his chest out to go through that finish line. A Christian life, you've all heard it, is not a a sprint, it's a marathon. But here's the deal in a Christian life. When I press on, I want to make sure we're clear on this. There's two extremes that we can get ourselves stuck in, I think. One, God will do everything. I'm just going to sit back and watch. It's all about God. God's awesome, isn't he? Look at him work. That's one extreme. Or I got to do everything. I believe in God, but if I'm going to do this, I got to make sure and take care of this. I got to make sure I get this done. Those are two extremes. Those are two guardrails as our pastor teaches us all the time. Bump up against, God will do everything because he's awesome and he is and he does and he's got, he's got divine purposes. Or the other extreme is, well, I, I trust God and I love him, but I trust me more to get this done. There's synergism there as our pastor has taught us in the past. God's at work and I cooperate with that work. God lays things on my heart and I cooperate with what he lays on my heart. There's work to be done as Christians it's not just sit back and watch God work. There's synergism. We've got to work through these things together. And it's not enough to run the race. This is my part. It's not enough to run the race. I've got to be obedient to the rules. Why is it in our lives that we can look at an athletic event and go, they need to follow the rules. And if they don't need to follow, if they don't follow rules, what happens to them? They get disqualified, don't they? Why is it as Christians that we don't have that same mindset? Well, I don't need to follow the rules because I'm I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. It's by God's grace. No, there's ifs in the Bible. If you do this or if you don't do that, you're disqualified or you're qualified. It's baffling to me how as human beings we can look at a competition and, and look at that and go, there's rules to follow. 
But as Christians, we're like, well, I don't like the rules. See, let me tell you, I love the rules in the Bible. I love God's commands to say, if you do this, you are my disciple, which means if you don't, you're not. Because when I'm reading the ifs of the Bible, it shows me I'm on track with God. And the Holy Spirit of God confirms that to my heart. And if I'm not on track with him, guess what? He lets me know. And by his grace, to his glory, I adjust course and go a different direction. So stay disciplined because Paul makes it very clear. Paul wanted to make sure he received the prize because in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says this, I run this race in this manner that I might not be disqualified at the end. Paul even knew this. Paul understood this. Paul also said that he, he simply looked at it this way. The athlete, it's like an athlete getting a reward for his performance. When he's called, he will, he will receive a crown that is his. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26. He says, do you not know that, all, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do this to get a crown that will, la will not last. So they get the laurel reef, that weed they put on their head. But we, he says, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. James 1.12 says, if you endure for those that love and endure to the end, God has a crown of life for you. And I want to live in such a manner like Paul says that I'm not disqualified at the end. So make sure that you're reading the gifts of the Bible. Make sure that you're staying faithful to God. Because this idea, this metaphor that, God, that Paul uses here, I can see it. When you look at like the Olympics, you're sitting in the auditorium, you're up here in the stands, and you see the podium up here, right? Do you realize someday you're going to be called to that podium? Your name is going to be called, and you're going to be called to the front at the beam of seat of Christ. And everybody's going to be watching and you're going to stand on that podium and you're going to receive the crown of life because of your faithfulness to the gospel, because of your faithfulness to walk with Christ, not in your own strength, but by his grace, to his glory, you walk with him all the days of your life. And as you walk this year, I want you to realize when you walk, I want you to lean like Paul talks about. I want you to lean into your faith because I had this idea when you're leaning into your faith and you stumble for a moment and you fall you fall in to the arms of Christ. You don't fall in to the world. Make sense? You guys, we're humans. We're going to struggle. We're going to stumble at times. I'm not giving you a green light to sin. John says he does not want you to sin. But we're humans. We make mistakes. We do stupid things. Amen? At least I do. And when, if I'm leaning into the Lord and I stumble and I fall, I fall into the arms of grace. He picks me up, dusts me off, says, let's go. And I keep walking with him all the days of my life. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, listen, not only me, but also to all who have longed to see his appearing. That's you. Are you longing to see his appearing? Are you living in such a manner that you believe he's coming back any minute? The twinkling of an eye, the Lord could show up. Are you living that way? Because Paul says if you are, you're going to receive that crown of righteousness. You're going to receive that crown of life someday. And you're going to be able to bow down before the Lord and say, thank you for helping me through this mess called this world that we live in. The last point is this. 
divine following, 15 through 17. <clears throat> Let us all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress that we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Christian maturity is this, to press on toward the finish line. Christian immaturity is this, to focus on the day-to-day -day issues and keep my eyes fixed on the past. So if you want to be Christian, you want to be a mature Christian, keep your eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of your faith, keep walking forward. If you feel like you're immature in your, in your Christian walk, it's because you're so focused on the, the temporal, the everyday stuff, and you're looking over your shoulder too much. Stop that. You can look at the everyday stuff. We can't get away from it, you guys. But if we look at the horizontal temporal stuff with an eternal perspective, we have a different perspective on what the horizontal stuff provides us. Make sense? It's all about our perspective, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Christians move forward with the, in the guidance that they've already received. So watch. If I've received from God, if I'm obeying God and he's speaking to my heart and I'm walking with him, I'm mature in my faith. If God's speaking to my heart and I'm not listening to him, I'm immature in my faith. Why? Because God gives me the maturity by being obedient to him. If you want to be mature, it takes obedience to what God's talking to your heart about. Now listen to me, parents. I want to make this clear and then I got to get this wrapped up. Your students, it took me a long time to learn this about students, about your kids, probably junior high and high school and up. Let me put it this way. My kids are all in their 30s and they're not where I want them to be with God yet, but they're heading in the right direction because I got to remember what I was like when I was that age in Christ. When you have teenagers at home, don't push them too hard. Listen to me. As long as they're being obedient to what God's laid on their heart and put before them, we still coach them, we still mentor them, we still give them road signs along the way. If you do this, this is going to happen, but I got to be willing to walk with them in the relationship with Christ. I got to quit trying to force them to be what God's not even talked to them about yet. Because as a, as a parent, I want my kids to be down there with Christ, farther along with Christ. But the bottom line is, if they're walking with the Lord, Amen. Walk alongside them, be willing to coach them, guide them, parent them, discipline them, lead them as God would with a ton of grace. Amen? With a ton of grace when it comes to parenting. But we got to listen to God. We got to hold on. This idea of holding on is keeping the line or keeping in step. Paul challenges the Philippians to walk as he walked. He gives them his example of pattern and example. Pattern means this, to become like, but also to the idea of obeying. So if I'm going to pattern my life after God, after Paul, I've got to be like him, but I've got to obey what he tells, what God tells me to do. Obedience is part of this. Example is to model, to blueprint after someone's life. Find a mentor in your life that is farther down the road than you are in life this next year in Christianity and follow them. Let them mentor you. Let them coach you. And you'll find progress and you'll find growth in that because find someone who's out farther ahead of you. I'm going to give you a couple things. Jessica, if you'd come to the stage, we're going to close with the song here in just a minute. So this idea of following Paul's life, I thought a lot about this. I don't want to follow Paul's life. I don't want to be shipwrecked and beaten and stranded. I don't want that stuff in my life. Amen? I don't know if you guys do. Great. I don't. Will we experience tough times? Yes. But here's Paul's pattern that we're supposed to example or, or follow. Paul is single-minded. He says this in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We should have that single-mindedness as an athlete does when he's running around the track, he sees the finish line. Do you see the finish line? 
It's called heaven. You're going somewhere as a Christian. It's not a stale stroll. You're heading in a direction when you follow Christ. And it's to get to heaven, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So when you're running around the track as an athlete, you see the finish line. Do you see it? We're all going to get there through death or through Christ's return. That's your finish line. That's why we got to be that single-minded like Paul. Paul was submissive-minded. He lived for Christ and Christ alone, and he was spiritually minded. He was a spiritual-minded person that did not let the things of the world distract him from his walk with Christ. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. I'm going to close with this. Paul's example was Jesus, and Paul lived by that example. Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example. Why? Because he follows the example of Christ. And the Christ way is the cross way. And the cross way is sacrificial and suffering. But it's full of joy because the, the one who suffered before us, we walk with him. You guys, as we step off into this year, we don't know what's going to happen, do we? We live in a world full of turmoil, amen? Ups and downs, family issues, financial issues. We don't know what's going to, bring, what's going to happen this next year. But we know who we follow. Amen? And he's trustworthy. And we can trust him with today, and we can trust him with tomorrow. So as Jessica leads us in song here, I want you to stand to your feet if you would real quick, and I want you guys to sing these words out. I want this to be the anthem of this church going forward with one thing in mind, laying behind the past and keeping our eyes fixed on what's forward and keeping our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we trust him with today. We trust him with eternity, amen? Let's trust him with today and all of our tomorrows as we go into this next year. And all of us
sun once kissed Whose beauty passed behind the clouds Let all our fond and longing tears Remind our pilgrims here We trust you sovereign of our Pray with me. Father, we are thankful this morning. We're thankful for the words that you gave to Paul so that we can know that we can leave what is behind us behind us and look forward to what you have for us in the future, Lord. So as we look towards this new year, and there's nothing special about it, as our pastor said, but you You want something from us. And it was hidden in that scripture as well. It's to focus our eyes upon one thing, one single goal out ahead of us that we should look to and strive after and keep on going toward. And that's you, Jesus. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray that you would fill each heart in this room with encouragement. Fill fill each heart with a plan. Give us that view of who you are so that we can trust in you and look forward to you and pursue after you in this new year. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who understand that our past can be our past. It doesn't have to walk with us each day by day as we go forward and it's just a part of who we are. When you call us your son or daughter, we leave behind who we were and we have a new identity, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to see we've got a new identity in you. And until the day you make all things new again, we pursue after you. And keep going and keep going and keep going and you will be right there with us, beside us the whole time. Lord, fill these people with your grace as we go and as we 
take on this burden of walking through this difficult world as your followers, Lord. It's not easy, but it's what you call us to. And so give us the strength to do it, Lord. And we pray it, trusting you'll be with us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.